All right. Let's start. Thank you, everyone, for joining today. Have a good morning. My name is Laura Luengo, and I am a vehicle integration supervisor engineer for Lordstown Motors Corporation. And uh, today we're going to present to you revolutionizing uh, business continuity through digital transformation. For that, we have uh, Jacqueline Toussaint and Dr. Natasha Anderson. Uh, let me introduce you th with them a little quick, a little bio. Uh, Mrs. Jacqueline Toussaint uh, is the Director of Engineering for the Air De uh, Delivery Capability Directorate at Kirtland AFB. The Directorate is, re is responsible for the acquisition, modernization, integration, and sustainment of air delivered nuclear weapons with locations in New Mexico, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, and Germany. Mrs. Toussaint Baker serves as the Directorate's Chief Engineer responsible for the technical and engineering oversight and approval of these nuclear weapon systems. Prior to this assignment, Mrs. Toussaint Baker was appointed the AFMC Resource Chief for the Engineering and Technical Management Directorate. Her office was changed to influence, deploy, and implement career and manpower for AFMC's 14,000 scientists and engineering SNE workforce. Throughout her pleasant, uh, 25 plus years as a professional engineer, Jackie has demonstrated her ability to lead and provide technical direction to multidisciplinary teams of science, uh, scientists, engineers, program managers, and specialists in the implementation of innovative engineering and technical management strategies. Mrs. Toussaint has developed su successful partnerships with DOD, the Department of Energy, DOE, Intel Community, IC, and international partners such as NATO. In addition, Jackie has worked in multiple staff positions with the Air Force and multiple levels serving GOS and senior executive leaderships in strategy development, planning, budgeting, and, execu and execution of the Air Force visions, missions, and strategies. I'll introduce you real quick to Dr. Natasha Anderson before moving forward with them. Dr. Natasha Anderson is a mechanical engineer turn award winning STEM educator and STEM advocate and dynamic and informative in the man's STEM motivational speaker, podcast host, and author. Her podcast, Steaming in Stilettos, high skills the story of minority women in STEM and is available on a wide variety of podcast platforms. Dr. Ta Natasha offers intensive professional and leadership development, coaching and training for STEM entities, educators and school staff and mentorship for young minority women and girls in STEM. She also offers the STEM keynote motivational speaking services to organizations, associations, corporations, conferences, and educational system nationwide. Currently, Dr. Natasha is the Director of Programming and Partnerships at Lingo Solutions, a venture-backed women-led educational technology company that specializes in electronics and coding kits and curriculum in her spare time. Dr. Anderson can be found reading a good romance novel or binge watching Netflix shows. I'm <laughs> right there with you. So uh, we have two different experts in different fields that are gonna give, you, give us their own perspective about um, business continuity through digital information. So uh, please welcome to Mrs. Jacqueline Toussaint. Okay, good, uh, good morning everyone. I hope everybody's doing well. Um, it's been a while since I've attended the Women of Color uh, Conference. Um, I thought that this year would be a good year. I'm getting ready to transfer from the current position I have to uh, doing much more in terms of how to you know, implement and move uh, the Air Force into uh, you know, the digital uh, system. So this is gonna be a great chance to talk about that. And uh, you know, any kind of questions during the presentation, please feel free to stop. 
uh, and ask questions. Uh, and I definitely will stay uh, after the, the, uh, the session if anyone wants to have a one-on-one -on -one or talk with me. So um, this is just kind of like a setting up the background. Uh, we're going to talk about system engineering. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the digital environment data, you know, a holistic approach in terms of how you pull technology with other functions in terms of how you move forward a design, um, how you make sure performance is in place. Um, so the holistic approach from that. And then just the challenges in being in a digital environment. I mean, digital engineering is a big buzzword. It means a lot of things to lots of folks. Um, there are folks that just feel like, I don't, I'm, when you say engineering, you know, that doesn't include me if they're coming from other professions. And one of the things that we're really trying to change or I want to be part of is how do you make sure that you present it in an, an inclusive way? Because really right now, you know, most of us are engaged in a digital environment and it really centers around the data. You know, how do you access data? How do you protect data? How do you utilize the data? How do you trust the data? And that really is what you, what digital engineering is about, is how do you move it, how do you integrate it, and how do you make sure that um, the information that you're providing to, you know, senior leaderships that have to make large decisions, that it can be trusted. So um, again, my background, I'm an electrical engineer, so uh, I've been doing that well over 25 years. Uh, you know, I'm working for the Air Force. Um, I'm presenting myself as a professional, so I'm not gonna, it's gonna be very limited. If anything, I'm gonna talk specifically about the systems that I've worked on, but coming from the perspective of, you know, being a professional, being someone that is working in a technical area, you know, the whole uh, concept of, of uh, being able to do technical management and engineering, I'm gonna be able to address that. So I'll give you that big picture perspective from that. Um, if you uh, are designing anything or part of designing a system, whether it's a product or whether it's uh, uh, a design for um, something that has an end use, um, I've grown up since I've become an engineer in that kind of work, um, the importance of being a system engineer and that's in using the system engineering mythology. Really, you know, being able to document everything that you need to document, um, the different reviews in terms of understanding the design, um, working with other disciplines. I'm an electrical engineer, but I'll have to work with mechanical engineers. Um, you're working with uh, scientists. Um, I've, used to, I, I've worked in uh, the science and research technology, so not only are you working with engineers, you may work with physicists. I, I've had to employ mathematicians for operations research. Um, just all kind of backgrounds that, you know, I know this area, but, you know, they're bringing their expertise from another area to really, you know, have that full understanding of the design. So part of what systems engineering is allowing you to be able to make sure that you align the technical performance, um, not only from how well it's supposed to perform or how you're gonna predict that the system's gonna perform, but also as working with a program manager who has the responsibility of the schedule. You know, when is everything gonna be ready at different points? We have to do testing. How long will that testing take? What are you gonna expect from the testing? And then the other piece is how much is this gonna cost? If we go off schedule, this is an overrun. Where do we get the money? If we have to cut certain things, 
you know, making a decision on what can you live with at this moment and try to bring back into the system later. So the system engineering whole doc discipline is supposed to allow you to be able to do that. Um, you know, uh, as I have been working in this, it was mostly documented. It was mostly, you know, paper-based. And you have to find where these things were. You know, if somebody moves on, that they keep everything in their hard drive and now you can't find it. Oh, where it is, you know, they decide to, to move on or they've retired and how to recover it. What does it mean? Well, part of now with the model-based system engineering, which is a term I think a lot of folks are now becoming aware of, is how do you trace all this information back to requirements? Why did we do the things that we did? Um, and, you know, as leadership moves on, a lot of times, you know, everybody comes in with a new way that they want to do it. And regardless of like, hey, this was working great, now somebody wants to leave their mark, they want to change everything up. So putting on new requirements, moving things away, you know, working in a digital environment, that data, you want to be able to access it to give that historical perspective um, go back and trace what we all did in the maybe five or six years ago before even you were there and really understand, you know, what was done and do we need to make changes depending on the content and the environment that you're in right now. Um, so from that perspective, those are the kind of things in terms of system engineering, aligning with the PM, um, and always as an engineer, always want to be able to talk to understand the risk. You know, if you make a change, this is what's going to impact. This is what we believe is going to be the likelihood of this expectation. Can you all live with that? Or if they make something in terms of a decision that you as an engineer, you don't agree with, you want to be able to document it. That, hey, I'm not going to sign off on that because based on the data and what's going on, we, don't be we believe that that risk is too high. And so a lot of times, with the PMs, other senior leaderships. As an engineer, you may be the last defense in terms of something going forward that you know is not a good move. So I'll, I'm always about documenting. I'm going to write a memo like, I did not <laughs> agree to this, or like, I'm not signing off on it. That's just it. Um, and so again, the last thing is, again, like I said, tracing requirements is very important. Why did we do a lot of what we did? And what was the customer? Um, in our case, it's not going to be, you know, um, just the general public, even though, you know, general public in terms of what we do in the Department of Defense is always going to benefit. But, you know, we see our customers, the folks that go out here, fly to very dangerous places, and our goal is that they always come back. So talk a little bit about the digital environment. Um, you know, people, you know, folks will have different names for when we talk about a digital environment, you know, whether they call it like a digital space. Um, I've seen this term ecosystem, you know, now a new term that I'm starting to hear a lot of is like a digital lake. Mm -hmm. So it's still like the same thing, that space where all the information and data you want to be able to access, whether it's data that's coming from finance. It's data that is coming from um, logistics uh, to help with the supply chain, uh, data that's coming from even on how you bring in new talent. That's something that we're really very concerned, and I think a lot of folks are very concerned about in terms of uh, as you hire new folks, do they have the skill sets 
that you're looking for um, in college, how much of the work that we want to do within a digital environment and now in a, uh, you know, within the workplace, have they been exposed to? Um, uh, I know as we bring in uh, new individuals, whether they're interns or new hires, uh, have they programmed in Python? Are they familiar with uh, the different type of uh, AI, AI uh, uh, technologies? And again, that's one of those words that's very a uh, very buzzword. You see it all over. My mom even knows to say AI, and I'm like, I know she doesn't know exactly what that is, but she she even can say it. And you know, there's a lot to it. You know, whether you're talking about basically, you know, neural networks. That's really what you're talking about when you talk about AI. Neural networks. Um, if it's machine learning, if it's deep learning, I started one of the first programs within our uh, within the lab in terms of bringing the, that kind of talent in. So that's something you want to factor in as well, because from a business perspective, to bring someone new to start working in these environments or to start working with these different tools as an engineer, um, it's like learning a language. Uh, you know, if you just take a language, you know, take something really quick and babble for like, you know, two weeks or three weeks, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you go to that country that you want to visit, whether it's like France or whether it's like Brazil, that you're going to be able to interact and communicate with everyone, you know, at the level that you believe that they should understand. Um, what we're starting to assess is that to get someone to the level that we really want to have them be effective and impactful. Um, in the work that they do, it's going to probably take a minimum of five years just to get trained, um, get accustomed to working in that environment, really understanding how the, the models work, the system itself, um, all those things. So uh, that's something that part of this environment that you also want to fa factor in. If you have one person that's expertise and they have to be used in multiple different you know, areas, you have to kind of like ba basically broker to use that person and, you know, when you can use them and when you can have them because they'll be needed all over. And I tell you one thing about the government, um, you know, from a perspective of like, uh, you know, uh, salaries, we just can't compete against industry. We have to have other things that we can bring them in uh, to have them want to work with us. And you know the other thing that I've also had to recognize, and I've really tried to convey to a lot of my managers, is that um, folks now are not interested always in staying in one area for like 20 years. They like to move around. They want to have different type of projects that they're going to work on, and they want to move on. So you know, again, that expectation to constantly have to train and bring folks in to help with this is something that of a challenge that folks are just going to have to start to become accustomed to and um, how you how you take the most of what they have to benefit what you need. So the other piece that I want to discuss here in terms of what you want to know is how does it work and I think I've touched a bit on that um, in terms of you know understanding why we're do why you're doing what you're doing and what's the capability that you want to get out of it. Um, having that larger understanding of the strategy of, of what you want to accomplish and what you want the capability to get out of, of, of what you're doing is, is really going to be very important in terms of how you put together the environment and how it relates to other actions. And again, like I said, you know, I spent a little time having the conversation about the talent and how you bring it in and how you use them and where you put them. But it also comes down to the money, 
you know, how much money, do you have enough money to go ahead and get certain things started? You know, does that make an uh, impact on the design? Yes, it can in terms of what you expected in terms of the performance, but because of the funds, do we have to go back and make some adjustments um, and how that relates? Those are the kind of questions as an engineer that you do have to take into account as well. And uh, again, what are you trying to solve? And more importantly, how can you measure the uncertainty? So there's a lot of areas that we look at risk management um, in terms of, of these systems and what we're putting out and how it relates to the, the leadership, how they go ahead to communicate. Because it's not uncommon for us as the Air Force that we have to uh, put together information to communicate not only to senior leaders, and when we're talking about like whether it's the general officers or you know general um, executive directors, but also we have to go back and be accountable to Congress. And um, there are times that we have to put together you know reports or information that we have to convey to them depending on the appropriation and the, the, the committee that they're on in terms of why we have to continue with this. So, you know, the, having the data and having access to the data and understanding how the data is put together and more importantly, can you trust what's been given? Because, you know, folks do have the right and they should question, you know, how do we come about this? So the whole idea of being able to put together, you know, these, this environment um, with the models that you're using and, uh, making sure that they're credible uh, is very important. So it still always comes down to the data. It's not enough for me to say, I think that this is how it's gonna go. It's like, prove it. And how did you do it and what kind of conditions they were under. And so I've already talked a lot already uh, centered around the data. Um, what some of the things that are very important with the type of data is how do you characterize the data? You know, can you tag it? Is it in, um, uh, can it be trusted? Uh, where did you get the data? Uh, has it been secured? And a lot of things that we're working on right now is how do you standardize data? Um, not only in terms of what we wanna use, you know, but also across industry. We partner and we acquisition lots of things from industry. So again, having the ability that once something has been uh, acquired from industry and we as the, as the engineers want to be able to monitor we're going to be the ones that are going to end up being the sustainment once something is fielded you want to be able to test it to see you know that it's effectiveness and so being able to partner with them and standardize the data that they use and what we're looking at are we still looking at the same from the same optics or do we need to or do we need to change the optics just to make sure from a sustained perspective statement perspective that we can still continue on with it. I mean, those are the things that you want to be able to understand about the data. So there's a lot of uh, push to work, um, not only within the government, but also with industry to make sure that things are consistent so that you're getting the same type of uh, outputs. Um, again, I talked a little bit about system engineering, MBSC, that's model-based system engineering. You know, regardless of how many models that you build or how many uh, <laughs> components that you try to model or simulate, uh, at the end of the day, if you don't have that basic foundation for system engineering, you know, you put in junk, it's gonna come out junk, you know, or like, as some of my nieces said, hey, he put this picture up, and when I went to meet him, that's not how he looked. <laughs> 
I was like, you know, I, I like that. That's a good way. That's a good analogy. It's like what you see, and then what you have in reality, it's like can be totally two different things. You know, all these filters and stuff. It's like, oh, okay, that's not right at all. Trash in, trash out. Yes, trash in, trash out. And again, um, some of the, the the type of models that we work with, Cameo doors, um, especially in science, uh, science and technology, MATLAB. You know, uh, again, these are the type of courses and uh, analysis tools, Tableau, that we expect uh, when we bring in new people to be, you know, exposed to. But again, we still have a lot of senior folks. Um, part of one of the things that I can say that we have done a really good job is that as we bring in interns, we put them in the environment, and we have folks that work with them in terms of mentoring to really bring them up to speed. So it's not that we throw them out into the lake and like, go ahead and swim, let me know but we make sure that we put them in an environment to understand what we're looking for and to, to mentor them. And again, um, one of the, the, the things that we're also trying to develop is called a, a data governance, where we address the data manner, man, um, matters from different perspectives. So I'll talk a little bit about a holistic approach that you should take, especially if you move into a management perspective. So um, prior to this job, you know, as director of engineering, I'm responsible for all the training, the education, um, the type of work that engin the engineers are doing within our directorate. Um, so that's about, uh, right now, I have about, uh, across the center, about 500 engineers. Um, you know, we make sure that they get trained, um, review the development plans, uh, uh, all those kind of things, and also work with the chief engineers that are spe specific to those systems I work with them, I have the final engineering authority in certain aspects to sign off on certain things. And you know, moving into this management perspective, you have to also take into consideration not only the engineering part, but also what the pro program manager is going to uh, have in terms of requirements and expectations. And you know, there can be a, I'll say it, because you could have a love-hate relationship with the program manager, because I have lots of program managers that believe they're engineers. And it's like, oh, I didn't know you went to engineering school. You know, I say, well, if you want to make this decision, I'm going to let you make it. And you know, at the end of the day, they always come back to us to get the answer. And so, but it's, 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 pro, it's, it's always going to be much more better, I mean better and positive when the chief engineer and the program manager can work together. And so the goal is to align um, the things that they have to be concerned with and also what the engineering perspective is going to be a, a concerned with and have it as one, as opposed to like, well, this is our thing. We're not worried about y'all. Y'all find the money some kind of way. Or, you know, again, if you're telling me that this is going to be delayed because you found a flaw or something wrong with the design, you know, help me in terms of how we present that, you know, what's the, you know why it was critical and, and why there's a need to slow it down or get other resources to do more things. So it's always better to have that alignment with the uh, program manager. Um, so you're working from a strategic perspective as opposed to like a tactical. Um, so that's one thing that you have to move out of, uh, not just your small area, but you know, how does this impact everyone? You know, making the taking the actions and making the decisions that you, know, you make as a, as a manager. Um, again, from a, the chief engineer as a perspective, you know, I talk a lot of times with the finance people, you know, how, you know, in terms of procuring the, the product, 
Um, also, at one time, I worked again, like I said, in the Air Force Research Laboratory. So it's more of like, you know, where do we try to research to bring in enabling technology, you know, like AI and machine learning to really mitigate the risk. Um, also, the other area is that once something has been uh, purchased or a, a product within the Air Force, you know, once it's fielded, the sustainment is the most important thing. You know, folks know about the different aircrafts that we have. We've had some aircrafts for like a long time and they're not gonna go away. They have the capability that we wanna have in place. How do you increase it? So how do you make sure that you have the right type of things to test? Um, again, sometimes it's not uncommon for, you know, a manufacturer that you had maybe 30 years ago, they don't exist. So did you buy enough of those uh, pieces to, to keep the system going? And even if you purchase them, are they still good? And then that's when you have to, having that kind of digital engineering environment allows you to go back and do that risk, that um, reverse engineering to try to trace that and see what else you can bring on. So, you know, having the digital engineering from a business perspective, how much it's gonna cost if you have to go back out here and find a new vendor or uh, someone that's going to come online to be able to do that. You know, having this in one system that you can work from, move the data around to see what the testing has to be done. All those things are gonna be very critical in this kind of environment. And it's not just from a technical perspective, but from a business perspective. Do we make the right kind of business decisions to remain in this area, or should we go ahead and sunset it and, and move on to something different? So we talked a little bit again, I already talked a little bit again about the sustainment, the supply chain. I know, you know, if you've been working as an engineer or even just in any of the other systems, just the breakdown during COVID of the supply chain, mm -hmm. trying to find things that, you know, having this long lead time. Is it gonna take us six months before we get the things that we need? So understanding that and how it's gonna impact the schedule and cost is, is another area that you want to be able to address. And also just testing vendors. You know, for us, we have to know where those vendors are, who makes them, and you know, we're putting things, we're putting components into, into systems that um, are critical. You know, are they gonna break down or they're going to be secure even from a cyber perspective? So we have to be extremely cautious and aware of all those kind of things from the, the kind of work that we do. And I think this is the last one. So, you know, to kind of close up everything, um, these are just the challenges. Um, they, everyone has like a digital type environment. They may say whether it's like something now that used to be all on paper and now you can do it on a PDF form. That kind of isn't what we're really talking about, but it's a start. Um, a lot of times what we find when they say, well, let's just put everything together. You know, well, everything doesn't operate together. So how do you go about just the challenges of making things interop interoperable? Um, you know, the environment lacks a lot of communication. Again, going back to the data format. If, if a company came up, used models that even though we use them, but I don't understand how you use them, and I say, well, deliver me your models. You know, you get in there and it's like, what is this? How'd you do this? You know, you didn't document it or I don't understand it. So, you know, data format, lack of standardization is something that's a challenge. Um, and, and again, as I said before, there's always gonna be a need for more collaboration with industry and, and, and government. Um, another aspect in terms of how you create these environments, you know, from a business perspective is processes and access. Um, there are times that we have to make sure that the government, we want all the data, right? 
Well, we also have to make sure from an industry, industry perspective that we protect their rights in terms of intellectual um, property rights. Because again, you know, they're in the business of, of commercial and making a profit, and they want to be able to practice the things that they have created and done, and we have to respect that, and how do we use that internally. Um, culture. You know, everyone isn't on board with digital engineering, and so again, we've really changed the type of language that we use, more of a digital transformation or digital acquisition. You know, when you talk to uh, contracting, the language has to be different in terms of what's written and what's delivered. Uh, working with, uh, again, uh, logistics, IT, uh, just having those conversations to make sure that they understand that everybody is included in this. Um, and D is not just for engineers and the, 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 in terms of the language. And then again, I think that the other thing that I touched on is the training and education. Um, to create senior material experts is definitely going to take between five to seven years just to be an expert um, from the perspective that we're looking from. It starts in college, it even starts in high school. My niece, she's 17, but I tell you, you know, she, she understands coding, um, the whole environment, because they grow up in that. It's so different from, you know, I'm not going to age myself from when, <laughs> when I came up. And even folks that are in their 30s now, it's just different for, you know, talking to a five-year-old and a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old. They just have this, you know, understanding because they've always had one of these things, you know, whether it's a cell phone or what have you in, in their life. So, you know, it's just different perspective. And the sooner that we can get those kind of talents involved, it's really great. Um, you know, another area of certification, we do lots of certifications in cyber and IT. And so, you know, having data scientists that are very familiar with this type of work um, is important. Um, so these are just, you know, examples of the challenges um, from a business perspective. When you're in management, you just have to go beyond just your, your particular function as an engineer. You have to think more of like, you know, from a strategic perspective, being able to communicate, you know, from the different uh, functions that you have to work with, whether it's the PM, whether it's the finance folks, which are very critical. Um, uh, from those perspectives, uh, they have just as much influence on the senior leaders as, as, as you do. Because if they say, we don't have the money, that's usually like, oh, we're not going to do it. But you know, being able to really bring in the other data and just how the impact of it, if we don't do it, is what they're looking for from us. So thank you. And like I said, I'm here afterwards for any kind of discussion. Thank you, Jacqueline. Appreciate it. Um, great perspective about data nowadays. Uh, Dr. Natasha. So I took, I tried to stay in my lane, right? So I'm a mechanical engineer turned educator turned educator, right? So, so I, I am not in the military. I don't work in corporate America. So I tried to look at this from my lane. And so I said, okay, if we're going to talk about digital transformation, business continuity, and digital transformation, I got to look at it from the lane in which I sit. And so I don't want y'all to leave. <laughs> so, but I got to look at it from, from the lane in which I sit. And so I did that. So I have three points. So I'm going to try to keep it short, but I want it to be meaty and juicy and something that you guys can, you can take something away from it. And the good thing is, is that, um, and so just FYI for y'all and a little background information. Like, we didn't meet, right? We didn't meet beforehand, but it, it, her message and my message are intertwined. And so 
God is so good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's good and he works. And so, and so he's just so good. So I just, I just will say that. And so um, a personal touch um, as a black woman embracing my roots, culture has always been instrumental in making decisions that resonate um, with inclusiveness and collective growth. So when it comes to agile decision-making and educational technology, one must acknowledge that students, teachers, and administrators all come from varied backgrounds with diverse needs. Leveraging technology enables us all to make swift data-informed decisions that caters to this diversity, ensuring, ensuring that each voice is heard and each need is addressed. So my first point, which you can go, is embracing agile decision-making through technology such as AI. So, data-informed decisions. Um, so we have the what? It's, we have to understand um, agile decision-making involves swiftly adapting to changes and making informed decisions or choices quickly. The how, we have to leverage data analytics and artificial intelligence which allows organizations, including those in STEM education or STEM ed, STEM ed tech, to make decisions expeditiously and smartly. So I have a scenario. So, and you guys know, we just came out of a pandemic, right? How many of you guys are at home with y'all's kids? Y'all don't want to relive it, right? <laughs> Some of you are having flashbacks right now, I'm sorry. Um, I don't mean to take you back. When you were at home with your grandkids, or your cousin's kids, or your niece and your nephew, and you're like, why? Why for Lord Jesus, right? And they had to turn on the computer, the laptop, that Chromebook that you want to throw in the trash right now, and it was like, what is this, right? Because every school in America had to turn on a dime, and they had to do it quickly. They, had to, they were in school one day, and they were out of school the next day. Schools had to do it in a day, in a week, two weeks for some. They had to change their entire paradigm in a day. There was no other, probably there was no other entity that had to change it like that. College had to do it, K-12 had to do it, they had to do it. And so we, I lived through it, I was a consultant for some, and it was like, well, how do we, how do, we do it? They had this, they had, they were doing some things online, there was this thing called Google Classroom. They were like, oh, throw a worksheet up there every now and then. Oh, whatever, right? They never taught. Teachers weren't teaching on Google Classroom. They weren't doing that thing. They weren't, they weren't really data, what? They weren't keeping things on, on there. They weren't doing all that, right? So Imagine a situation where there's a sudden change in online learning trends and say a shift towards more practical online virtual labs, right? Data analytics, organizations, they can utilize um, data analytics to pinpoint such trends by analyzing data like student engagement, <clears throat> like popular online courses and user feedback, AI's role, Artificial intelligence can predict upcoming trends and can recommend alterations in educational offerings to keep them aligned with user needs and global changes. What's the outcome? Swiftly adapting offerings to meet new demands, therefore avoiding a downturn and maintaining a smooth operation. 
Can y'all see like what can happen if we were doing things like that? Number two, global models and their impacts, right? What? A global business model refers to how an organization approaches markets, customers, and resources on an international scale. Now this goes beyond education. This is like in all y'all's markets, all right? So inclusivity and, and accessibility. In an age where learning is not confined by, by physical boundaries, digital transformation ensures that education is accessible to everyone. You can learn anywhere, right? You don't have to be sitting in a classroom anymore. You can be enrolled at the Ohio State, but you're in Paris, right? Or you're in Georgia, or you're in Florida, or you're in Russia, right? So in the context of a global business model, it is crucial to create platforms and content that are universal, universally accessible and culturally inclusive, embracing the spirit of unity and collective empowerment that defines our global community. How? Digital platforms in STEM education can connect learners, educators, and resources from around the globe. Resilience through diversification, engaging in global business models, allows ed tech organizations to diversify their offerings and not be limited by local or regional constraints. This diversification not only expands reach, but also builds a certain degree of resilience in, insurance, in ensuring the stability even when one market faces unforeseen challenges. So I think I saw the other day, and you, we got not getting po political, but you guys know what's happening in, in Israel and all the things, right? I think I saw something the other day where there was a, um, there was a photography class happening in, um, at the University of Florida where he had taken some students to Israel to film something in, in something over there. And they were still over there while this thing happened, right? And they were still filming, and and it was it it was amazing in the sense in the sense that they were still filming, but it just it was in the sense that it was a it was it was on a global scale, right? And I, I was shocked that he was still him and his class were still filming, but at the same time I was like amazed because education is global. I hope he's back, but I hope they're all back home now. <laughs> but at the same time, it was just like one of those moments, like, wow, education is still, is still out there and global. Um, remote learning is still a thing. Um, they, it hasn't gone away. Um, it's just gotten better. Um, it has expanded. It has grown. Um, and as we were talking about training mm -hmm. um, in, across markets, um, companies are now using remote learning. Um, as remote work has changed and grown, and so people don't want to come back to people don't want to come back to the office, and so people are bringing on more remote workers. So now training has become has become um, people are training um, remotely, and so now um, businesses are are um, having what they call learning what is it LMS learning management systems right. Mm -hmm. And so those are more robust and um, modalities are, are, are just um, becoming just, I want, there's a word for it. It'll come to me. 
Okay, because it hasn't come to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I felt that. It's in here. It'll come to me. I want to say more. It's robust, but it was different. It's in there. Um, expanded. Mm -hmm. We're going to go with expanded for the, for the moment. But it's like whole departments where like there, it, where it used to be maybe one person doing your training, yeah. but it's like whole divisions where it's all online, right? So you have your, your in-person training, but now you have your online trainings, yeah. right? Instructional designers where like, you may have thought that that was a, a pie in the sky job, right? Well, instructional designers where well, people who know how to um, design courses online, those folks, you need them. <laughs> so if you don't know what an instructional designer does, th these are folks who design courses online. They know what, how adult learners learn online. Have them design the course online. You need them, go and find them. <laughs> and so um, those folks are, are dream workers, right? So you need them for your work. <clears throat> the outcome is Despite the crisis, learning continues unimpeded and the organization sustains its uh, operations and revenue streams by delivering valuable education to a global audience. Three, said I would be quick. I got three points. <laughs> governance models, again, governance models, ensuring continuity. So we have to democratize education. We have to take it, taking a page from our collective struggles for equal rights and opportunities, implementing government governance models that promote um, equality, transparency, and inclusivity in educational access and content is paramount. Digital platforms must be molded in a way that they perpetually democratize education, offering equal opportunities to all, irrespective of their social economic or geographical standings. We have to future proof through intellect forecasting. Through data analytics and, and intelligence, ed tech organizations can foresee potential disruptions and create business continuity plans that are not reactive, but proactive. Whether it's a global crisis, like a pandemic, or localized disruptions, Intellect forecasting allows organizations to navigate through uncertainties without dis, um, derailing the educational journey of countless learners. So it doesn't matter what's happening around you, you can still learn. So it doesn't matter what's going on, wars, elections, you can still get your education. Uh, in summary, I love this the best. The digital transformation is not merely about technology. It's about creating a resilient, adaptive, and globally connected educational environment that can navigate through various challenges and emerge stronger. Uh, thank you, Dr. Natasha, for, for that. Um, please remember that all presentations will be in the Women of Color in STEM app, uh, app and all presentations and seminars are live and they will be posted 24 hours after the presentation. Uh, don't forget to click in the link for your seminar session to apply to CEU and PDH credits. So let's proceed to question and answers. Does anyone have a question? 
So one of the things that we've done, um, because again, the next uh, assignment that I'm going to really, um, that I'm going to be taking on um, is really being part of what's called the Air Force. We have a digital accelerator task force. And so part of what I'm going to be doing is how do we decide what functions we want to accelerate and really move along within the Air Force. Um, since two, 20, 2019 and now, what we do in my organization, in the Weapons Center organization, as an example, and I'm more than sure that other folks do it, is we do a yearly assessment of where folks are in the organization in terms of education, in terms of actually uh, utilizing the application of various analysis tools, uh, the projects that they've taken on, because depending on you know where they are in terms of the work that they're doing, are they in the initial stages of, de of a new development where there's going to be a lot more uh, need for uh, S&T work? Uh, and so that's a different phase in terms of like, okay, you know, the technology is solid, it is mature, um, we can bring and incorporate this into whatever development that we, we want to, to be a part of, which is basically, you know, we're developing a new system. Um, and uh, so we do a yearly assessment of er certain areas. Um, within a, a, a area that's doing the mission itself, you know, how well they've been educated, um, how well, where they're using uh, certain, uh, like I said before, analysis tools, you know, what's the impact that it's making. One of the things that I had to really focus on when I started to have the implementation of a strategy for our, our, digital, uh, our digital strategy, the feedback I get all the time is like, Oh, Jackie, why we got to do that? I'm busy. I don't have enough people. It's going to take resources. So like five years ago, that was like the main, you know, response when I would talk about digital engineering and what we're doing and things like that. And of course, everybody was like at the bottom. Okay, since that time, we're in 2023. And so when those type of responses come back to me, I'm like, I'm not having it no more. Because Five years ago, I kind of concede that you would, you, you could use that. You know, you're, you know, let's say you're like in your teens or whatever, and okay, I can get with that. It's five years. You should, by this time, you've graduated. Yes, mm -hmm. you've been exposed. You hear it. We talk about it. I'm not buying that, you know, response anymore. This, we're going forward with this. So what I always say to folks is this: um, look for places where you can do where efficiency is going to improve. If you don't have enough people, which is always going to be the case, there's never going to be an organization that has everybody that they want in there, you know, to do all the work. Mm -hmm. If you could free two or three people in this area because it takes them maybe three or four weeks to go ahead and pull down all these um, Excel spreadsheets to look through all this information, and I give you a tool that's going to allow, you know, utilizing machine learning or AI or automation to do it like in a day, that frees up these people from doing this really labor-intensive but mundane type work and have them really focus on the things that you want them to focus on. That's efficiency. And that's how you want to be able to use this. Well, you know, a light bulb started going off on folks like, okay, that makes sense. I can do that. You know, so now if anybody, you know, they already know don't approach her with that because they've already been told if you say that to her, 
she's you already gonna be on her bad list because <laughs> I'm gonna put you in training and get to have you do other stuff. So you know, a matter of the communication, you know, really having them address efficiencies within you know the area that they're looking at, whether it's sustainment of a system, whether it's development of the system, or whether you're still looking at the S and T in terms of you know what I want to grab to really go ahead and go forward, and um, you know moving it along that way. That is what has helped us really begin to get a health of, of, of where folks are and where a program is in terms of using that. So I definitely would tell folks to apply like an assess, a maturity of assessment um, that they do every year. And we just do it every year just to not bother them because, you know, if I say I want to do it like every, you know, every six months, you know, the whining starts again and I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't as long as you For me, it's always a matter if, if, if you are, if you, you're, you're giving them the tool, it's the tool and the training. It's mm -hmm. the tool and the training. So it's a, it's a matter of, it's a both and. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, again, you know, I can only speak from, you know, a, a government perspective. You know, we love bureaucracy. And, you know, it can take a minute just to get things in place for them to do. So that's also been part of, you know, being on this task force mm -hmm. to, to help with that too. You know, there are things that we just need to, de yeah. to eliminate because it's, it's a hindrance and it's a challenge yeah. and it's like a wall. So we need to move that. So you're right, the education and then having access to the tools so they can go ahead and start working in it is going to really accelerate a lot of what you want to be able to see. Right. And there's always, along with the, so there, I guess we should back up. So there's, there's, the, there's the tool, mm -hmm. and there's the training, and then there's the learning curve. Yes. So. Yes, yes, because it is a learning curve, because even if I say this tool is great, it's still a learning curve, you know, to go ahead and start learning it, and then, you know, you get the whining like, well, you know, it takes this time, and it's like, I'm sorry, I thought you said you were an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I'll try and play my game with them, too. I said, you're an engineer, you used to doing complicated stuff, you know. That's true. So, so why is this a problem for you? I said, this is part of why they have us here is that, yeah, some of the tools and some of the new coding and, you know, I'm not a coder. I did coding for a while and I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. And I was like, let me go and do management. <laughs> I'll go and do some other stuff. But uh, yeah, that, that, but once you're over that, you know, then they can move on. It's just like learning anything, whether it's like a, a new language and things like that. Oh, but that totally is something agree. that's very important because you have to, you have to keep as you develop educational pieces, yeah. I'm more than sure you, you address like, okay, there's gonna be this learning curve, you know, on getting there, but once they get over that hump and they get it as consistency and practice. You have to, if you have to, so, so I guess that should, so I was, a t I was an engineer, I was a mechanical engineer for 10 years before getting into education. So I don't know if I mentioned that, but I was. So, so anytime I'm thinking about doing any type of of design it, whether that's curriculum development ed tech or you know development i'm always thinking from the perspective of an engineer because i'm an engineer mm -hmm. so I, I always try to to reverse it right so of course you start with the end in mind like i want i want us to be here so how do i get us here so if, if we want uh, we want proficiency of use of this end product okay so I want us to be here. I gotta have to. We know there's gonna be some stragglers, right? We're gonna. They always have to think of. 
So for me, I always Roger was in my last job when I was uh, an engineer. I always think of Roger, and Roger was um, was an engineer that I had who was the last to adopt anything. So if I said we were going to be doing this thing, we're going to adopt this project, he was always the person who was bringing up the rear because he was always the one who was going <laughs> to say no to it, right? He was always the last person to adopt it. He was always the last. He was just, you know. Roger. Roger, right? So if everybody was going to get there in five days, he was going to take 10, it guaranteed. So Roger is, I always think, how long is it going to take Roger to do it? So that's how I think. So if, if it's going to take Roger 10, okay. So mm -hmm. Roger. So if it's going to take Roger 10, okay, we're going to... 10 days, it's gonna take, it's gonna take them 10 days to, to get it done. And, and then, I, then I work from there. Roger. Thank you both. Next question. Next question. So Thank you said you. something really interesting about how um, AI and digital transformation, it uh, frees up work so people can think and do other things. And I think this is a, a common thing when, when I talk to my team and we're talking about digital transformation and AI learning is one of the things that they, they wonder is what's going to happen to my job. So as a first line leader, how do you um, prepare your workforce um, so that they stay valuable employees to an organization when it comes to digital transformation? This is a good question. Yeah. Want to go first? So I, so here's the thing, there's, there's not an easy answer to this question, but what I would tell you to tell them is to, is to be a part of the adoption process. As, and part of it is, is that AI, I don't see AI going anywhere. It's only oh. going to grow and adapt because that's mm -hmm. the nature of it, right? It, that's the nature of it. So those folks who are a part of adopting that and learning, learning part of it, being a part of the Internet of Things, um, machine learning, chat GPT, and, and learning, getting in there and, and being a part of that process are the folks who are going to stay around. So instead of being scared of it, instead of running from it, be the ones that are in there learning. Be the ones that are, are doing the, you know, the, the classes and the being the ones who are saying, hey, um, I want to teach a class on it. Or I want to be the one that's the, you know, the team expert on it. Be that person. Be that person. Yeah, and, and you know, from from my perspective as a technical person, I don't think we, from that perspective, um, are in danger of losing our, you know, jobs. You know, you're going to always need engineers, or well, you're going to always need you know, mathematicians <coughs> or just folks in the STEM uh, arena in general, you will always be needed. I view uh, this type of technology, you know, artificial intelligence, and as I said before, when you break it down, it's really neural networks. It's something that's been out here that we've researched for 20, 30 years. So it isn't new. It's, it's not new. Right? It's not new. It's just that now, you know, in business, um, you know, how do you get information or make decisions or put something out fast? Because that's what it comes down to a lot of times is, is, is how do you get this out here faster? 
Um, and yet there are aspects of some of the ability uh, possibly with, you know, definitely with AI that certain type of work is going to go away because it is robotic. You know, is that the, is that where you want a person to be? And I know that folks will, be, will fear that because, you know, this is all I know how to do, but that's why there is an importance of education, you know, of, of learning new ways of doing things and um, how you can better be much more relevant in a different aspect. And so um, I think part of when you're talking with your team and those kind of concerns come up, that's definitely uh, a discussion in how, what you're doing right now, where do you expect this type of work to be three or four years from now, and how to educate them and move them in that direction. So that, that's definitely the conversations that um, I would recommend and have to engage in. Thank you. Because it's not going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you talked about system engineering. Uh, how do you navigate, or maybe you can share an experience, have you ever had to navigate where you think you know what the end product needs to be, but, but you're not really, really clear? So how do, how do, you, how do you navigate in that world? Um, so again, coming from where I'm coming from and the airport. I felt like, I felt like I should, <laughs> this is what I call the mama rub. <laughs> it's like, this is what I want. You know, you'll hear from senior leadership, this is what I want. We want us to be able to do all these kind of things. And it's like, okay. And then again, you hit these road bumps. Maybe the technology that was going to enable this capability is not as mature as you thought it was going to be. Mm. You'll have to go back and do testing, or there's been enough um, analysis done that's going to indicate the performance is not going to be there. Mm. So then it's a matter of, okay, you're not going to get here, you know, at the timeline you, 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 you expected to, if you wanted something that was going to be ready like in 2020, and it's 2015. It's like, okay, we can get this much of an a performance improvement you know, by this date. The rest may take another five years. And so you, know, you, you start to have that negotiation that um, it's just not where it's gonna be. And um, that's the type of thing in terms of an engineer that you just want to be able to, you have to be the, we're like the last, for me it's like the last defense of being an honest broker so that you limit any type of like sure, like badness that could happen by, you know, misleading something that I have to, I've, I've had to go in uh, times with, uh, you know, meeting with senior leaders and that might be like a general and, you know, they never want to hear like bad things. I, you, I used to have one, don't bring me in, don't bring bad news to me. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because it's on. You know, it's it, it, it's an implication of like you know you have to go out here and 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 convey this and the Congress and all this. It's just a lot of things that could could happen. But you know, it's like look, you need to know right now that this is where we are. This is not going to take place, and you have we have to be able to craft how we're going to you know communicate that. What's the possible? What's the impact? Once we say something out there, because once it's out there in the ether, you can't take it back. Um, you you rather be the ones to deliver the bad news than to have something reported from someplace else, whether it's like in the news or in 60 Minutes or whatever, that something happened and, and you, you they weren't aware of it. So, you know, uh, 
it, it, it just, that's just part of business and that's just part of, of, of the, the world that we live in is as an engineer, it's, it's very important that you're honest, that you give them the true information, um, take the stand at times that, you know, they may be pissed about it, but it's like, hey, that's why you have me here. But that you know? is, I think that's a, I, I think that's a part of the job. Right. You know, it's, it's actually funny you say that. So, again, I work for an ed tech company, and you wouldn't think that we have, we have those issues, but we're actually in a situation right now where we have, um, we have, we, we have someone we're working with. And I'm gonna say, I mean, I'm not gonna tell you who, but we're working with a billionaire who's contracted with us. They, he wants us to come up with, he wants us to come up with a product to work with a symph one of the symphony, symphony orchestras, right? And right now, he wants us to be finished with this product by December. We now have to tell him that we're probably not gonna be finished by December. He's offered us a lot of money to do this, you know, to be finished with this product by December. Um, again, we're probably not gonna be finished by December, so we're gonna have to deliver this news. And again, it's, again, it's about being an honest broker with, with the potential client to do it. And so, again, my, and you guys don't know this, but I work for Lingo Solutions. You can look us up. Our CEO is Aisha Bo. She's, in, she's a phenomenal black yeah. woman who's going to space with Blue Origin. She's brilliant. Um, but it, I work with engineers. We're all in every single one of us on staff are former engineers who've turned educators, all the things. So we can do this work. But again, you, you have to be honest about the work you do. And so we're probably not gonna have this product done. We have to do product testing. You put together what you think could work. You put, you have to test, again, engineering design proce a process at work in real time. Systems engineering, I mean, probably not gonna happen. Yeah, and that's what, that's what the system engineering is supposed to <laughs> convey. You know, when you come across these, these issues, and the same thing out in any other company when they're gonna put out a product and when bad things happen, whether it doesn't function like it's supposed to, you know, it's gonna be traced back to the engineers and right. you know, what was stated in the document and everything. And, and so again, you know, it, it's just that we have to be the ones that are honest brokers. I mean, people, you know, leadership can make a decision that they're gonna spin it a certain way or not say it at all. But, um, you know, that's part of being in this profession that um, you're going to encounter that. And, um, you know, as an engineer, I, you, it ain't, if it's not working, I'm going to state that it's not working. Right. And, you know, they, they can do, they can go forward as they, as they, as they believe. But, you know, that's, that's really something that is a challenge all the time through your profession. Uh, we have a few more minutes. It's, uh... One more question, absolutely. Hi, my name is Christine Miska from BAE Systems and we're on the journey as well with our ecosystem and digital transformation and I'm a systems engineer at heart. And um, so one of the challenges we've seen along the way, we're requiring all of our programs as they get started, architecture, it's all in model-based uh, tools and we're creating our ecosystem. But one of the challenges is in the uh, special access program oh, spaces. Yeah. Right, so I, I knew you had that, must have that experience too. So we have our tools, and it, there's a lot to be said for common tools, so you can bring that model from program to program or leverage products. 
Um, but it's hard to find model-based tools that are in the air gap to close spaces. And I didn't know if um, you had any tips on that or do you see any transition? It's, of course, gated by security approvals. Um, and I don't know whether security can help us or whether we need tools to evolve. Any thoughts? Uh, you know, as soon as you said special access, access, I was like, oh, Lord. So, I mean, it's just, that's just a different environment. And um, uh, for us, definitely, you know, being able to create the environment, you know, within those boundaries. Um, and uh, there are lessons to be learned from that. Um, if you want, I, I, there is a conference that's going on in another two weeks down in Charleston that I'll make you aware of. Um, they are going to have some uh, featured uh, uh, speakers, uh, sessions that are open, and then there's also going to be a part that isn't. And so I can definitely uh, let you know about that because that's something that we definitely follow. That's all we can say about that. <laughs> thank you. So thank you very much, everyone. Oh. Yeah, thank you all for staying. And uh, again, I hope this was uh, informative.